Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky. I am so happy you are here. Thank you for pressing play. Thank you for listening. This is a great episode. It is with Jess from our Mama Village. Now, I discovered her on Instagram. I started following her and I loved her compassion and her deep experience with families. This is a parenting episode, specifically gentle parenting, and we talk about what that means, but it's also about the bigger picture. So we're going to delve together into why we might want to look at our values as parents and have a think about how we're parenting. I think in our busy lives, from the moment our eyes open to the moment our heads hit the pillow. It can just feel like go, 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 can't it? And I think it's so easy to forget that perspective and that bigger picture at why your role as a parent is so important and how to navigate all the tricky parts of which there are many with more grace and ease. I especially loved it when Jess talks about the seasons of parenthood and how to know when is the time to just survive, to grit your teeth and get through it? And when is the right time to do that deeper work into what might be coming up for us as we go through the challenges of parenthood? It's absolutely brilliant. I know you are going to love it. And if you did love it, please do share it. You know, this podcast has grown only because you've helped me reach more mums. Did you know I've actually never spent a penny marketing it. This podcast has grown all by word of mouth, by you guys sharing it on social media, telling people about it. And I am so grateful. So please, if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it. Tag me on social media, tell someone about it, pop the link into a WhatsApp group. We all need more support right now. So be that person in your circle of friends who is inspiring and supporting others. I really appreciate it. Here's the episode and I hope you love it. Jess, I'm so excited to chat to you this morning. We were just saying, weren't we, that I was sharing this morning, I was speaking to you and so many of my followers were like, yes, that's amazing. So you are very loved over here in the UK. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I was having the same thing. So many of my followers saying that they love you, that they're so excited that I'm on Zoe's podcast. So I'm really excited. This is a long time coming. So I'm, I'm glad that we can talk today. Yeah, me too. There's so many things I want to get into, but where I thought would be interesting to start is I was doing some digging, stalking you like I do all my guests. Oh boy. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Nothing bad. Nothing bad. Yeah. But I thought it was. I thought it was fascinating how you came to this work, I thought was absolutely incredible because of the experience that you had, or hopefully you'll tell us, and then the experience that you had of becoming a mother and how that drove you to start what you now do. Can you tell us that story? 
So before having my own kids, I already was working in child behavior at that time. So I worked at a government agency and at the agency, we saw some of the kids in our city with the most challenging behaviors. So I actually worked with kids who had police involvement, who were being expelled from school. I did a lot of work in behavior, a lot of collaboration with teachers, like super nanny style. I actually was like in the home, help coaching the parents, telling them tools and tips and things like that, that they could do. So I had a lot of real practical hands-on experience working with families. So I figured when I got pregnant, it was a planned pregnancy. We're really excited that I would be prepared. I would be ready to work with families because I'd already worked with some of the most challenging situations. But my pregnancy really took me for a ride. I first off experienced extreme morning sickness for the first 20 weeks. Then at 20 weeks, finally things started easing off. I was feeling a little bit better. Then at 22 weeks, I went into preterm labor and ended up in the hospital and while I was in the hospital, they said, we feel that the safest thing for you would be to quit work because my job was also very stressful, as you can imagine. And I was on my feet a lot to take a sick leave from your job and to be on bed rest for the duration of your pregnancy. So that was a really scary time. So I quit my job kind of in the middle of things and I went on bed rest for the next four months. So thankfully I did make it full term. But four months on a couch when you're used to being busy and doing things was really hard on my mental health as well. Then from there, I had my daughter and then I went through a journey of postpartum anxiety, which now I can recognize is a response that really made sense considering all the circumstances that were going on in my life and the journey that brought me into motherhood. But I felt so alone. And for me, I couldn't believe how lonely I felt and how isolated I felt and how I really thought I was the only one who had ever experienced that. That's me. And I had eight years of post-secondary education in mental health. And I was still taken away by how anxious I felt and how unprepared I really felt for motherhood. So as the months went on, finally, my family was like, you're not yourself. They really encouraged me to get some help. I saw a therapist. I got some help. I started feeling better. And then I couldn't believe, looking back in hindsight, how unprepared I was for motherhood. And I thought to myself, again, like as a clinician who's worked with families, those eight years of training in mental health and family development, not only just mental health, but I studied family development. How did I not know that one in five women will have a postpartum mood or anxiety disorder? So I took that upon myself. And I so clearly remember feeling like I need to include this in my work. Like, how are we not talking about this more? So I went, I did a whole bunch of training through Postpartum Support International and some other organizations. And I actually left my job and I started a private practice where I worked with moms. And around this time, I also just started posting on a random blog that I actually had called Jessica Grace Blog at the time because I had no better name. And I just started blogging about, this is maternal mental health. I started interviewing people about their experiences with postpartum depression and anxiety And I still had a love for child behavior. So I was still talking about that. And that blog turned into a Facebook page, which turned into an Instagram page, which eventually we changed the name and it turned into Our Mama Village. So I was never this intentional Instagram person. I still don't really feel like I know what I'm doing on Instagram half the time. But what I do know is people are really interested in this topic and talking about mental health and parenthood and child behavior all at the same time has been huge. And 
So now I still have my private practice. We have several therapists and we also run our mama village. It's been really amazing to connect with families all over the world on these topics. And there's so much that I want to unpack. I think the first thing that just really strikes me is you had eight years postgraduate in, and I think what that really makes me think is what a challenge it is to become a mother and how we do not talk about it enough in particularly in the western world I think it's different actually in other cultures but I think people will find that and I know I find that in a strange way incredibly comforting because it's easy to think well it's because I didn't have enough knowledge or I should have known and I think someone like you you know with that massive massive experience to have gone through the same thing and to have felt that alone I think will make hopefully people feel like they are not the problem the problem is it's almost like the soup we're swimming in right it's just not spoken about enough like where is the knowledge as you say about this it's not spoken about and I remember the first time publishing a blog post and I at that point was just posting my blogs on my own personal Facebook and I had so many women that I knew that I was going through motherhood with that we would be at mom groups together be like oh my goodness, I had no idea you went through this. I went through this too. And I thought I was the only one. And then all of a sudden, story after story after story started coming in from people that I knew that I had been experiencing motherhood with who had never said anything to me, who I figured were doing way better than me because they always looked put together and everything looked great, were telling me that they were going through it too. And that's been the experience over and over and over running Our Mama Villages. There's so many of us going through it, but it feels taboo to talk about. So I think these conversations are so important. And I always think back to myself trying to rock that baby to sleep. You know, 4 a.m. has already been up a million times in the night. Me just sobbing, being like, is it this hard for everybody? And I always try and talk to that person when I'm talking on our mama village. Yeah. And I think the acute loneliness of new motherhood. I'm curious. I don't want to start interviewing you, but what is it like where you are, the support postpartum yeah it's I imagine much the same I have a slightly different experience to it because I actually didn't go through our NHS which is our national health service I had both my girls at home and I had private midwives so I have a slightly different experience and actually quite a positive experience but generally it is not great at all you get a six-week check but that's more for the baby you might be asked like how are you feeling but that's it like the support is just not there the maternity leave if you're in a job is much better than the US so you can get Mm -hmm. up to a year pay depending on your organization if you work for yourself which was the situation I was in it's non-existent the support essentially yeah that's the same I'm actually in Canada and we have the same here so 12 or 18 month leave which is incredible if you are working for a job, but yeah, self-employed. I'm also self-employed now. So there's no maternity leave for me either. I love that you went and studied postpartum as well. What would you love to see in terms of the postpartum support available? Oh, there's so many things that I'd love to see. And some parts of the country are getting better at this. Like I'd love to see more routine screenings for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. I will say that I had a lot more of that with my second pregnancy, I had midwives and these particular midwives were really good at checking in on me. So that was really nice. I was also a much better advocate for myself the second time around. So I knew what to look out for 
and wanting to ask for help and things weren't going well. So I would love to see more support for moms. Uh, I think a six-week checkup is the same as what we have here and in the States. For the baby, it's just so terrible. And to think six weeks go by, and it's usually like the hardest six weeks of a new mom's life where they're not having support. I'd love to be able to see some more support, some more resources given. Where I am, the clients that we see, sometimes they will say to the doctor or whoever it is, like, I need counseling. And the doctor will be like, yep, here's a number. And they'll call the number. They won't hear back. It'll be some part of the government system. So I'd love to see counseling just be so much more easily accessible. There's so much that I'd like to see. And I think we're making small changes that I can see here at least because my first pregnancy was probably, I guess that would have been five and a half years ago to my second pregnancy, which was only two years ago. So in that three and a half year gap between those two pregnancies, I did see some improvements, but there's still such a long way to go. It would just make such a remarkable difference, wouldn't it? I had Dr. Oscar Serilak on the podcast, who's just incredible. You know, and he talks about how that sort of early experience of motherhood really can imprint how you find it for years. He says that it can last mm-hmm. up to seven years, that feeling of depletion and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and it could just make such an incredible difference if we cared for mothers with this huge transition the biggest transition that a human can go through. It always makes me laugh. Like all these policymakers, they all came from a mother. <laughs> it's like, I know. And then they, and then they forget. forget that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's funny. And I think it's, it's not even funny, but like during pregnancy, you can have all these checkups and then somehow postpartum, we can't add in a few more checkups, but for mom, it makes no sense to me that that's the system and that we really leave moms so alone and vulnerable and it doesn't make any sense at all. But I'm glad that people like you, people like me with my page, so many other people, we can be having these conversations now. And I think even that is such a huge improvement from when I became a mother five and a half years ago when I was pregnant, there was nothing. There was no Instagram resources. When I started a blog, I searched and searched and I didn't really find anyone else who was blogging at the time about that. I think we're coming a long way, which is really nice. It is. And one of the other insights that I wanted to ask you about from that period when you were working before you became mother is this insight that I thought was so fascinating and again, not surprising, is that you would put in place all of these strategies to help these parents or you would give them tools and you started to notice that actually if they didn't feel okay mm-hmm. about themselves, all the tools in the world weren't making a difference. And I guess that's what I love about your work. And I think probably one of the reasons it has resonated with people in the way that it has, your growth is phenomenal, is because you look at these two sides. Because so many of the parenting books, that just used to drive me mad. They kind of would give all these tools. And I'm like, but what's going on with me in that moment that's not going to make me able to use that tool? Or can you unpack that insight? Because I think that's super, super fascinating. So when we were doing the work we did kind of a holistic approach. So we'd work with the child individually, but we'd also see who are the supports in the child's life? How can we support them to support the child? Because so often that's where the real work is done. And we knew that. So we were working with the police department, doing training with them, teachers, with parents. But what we were finding was so many barriers. We would give them a tip. We would tell them to try something. They'd be like, no, 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 no. And shut down. Like we could visibly see the parents shutting down. 
or we'd give them this whole document at, at that time. I was just out of school. So I loved, you know, writing this whole document out, all these strategies that give it to the parent. You could just see their eyes like glazing over, like, I can't do this. And even sometimes when we would do that with other professionals, we could just see them shutting down like they couldn't do it. So we started to realize that, wow, these people that we were working with are so burnt out. They're so tired. The parents that we were working with have often come out of their own traumatic childhoods, their own abuse. They don't know how to parent in any way that's different than what they're currently doing. So we started, myself and my practicum student at the time, whose name is Beth, who actually works for me now, still, she's incredible. We started a group that was called Guided Parent Support. We called it GPS. And the parents started to have to go through that group before they could access the rest of our services. And the entire group, it was a 10-week group, the entire group was about supporting the parent. So we would talk about things like reflecting on your triggers, burnout, parenting through your past experiences, stuff like that. And in this group, from the parents that we supported, we started seeing these huge changes. And what we realized was parents don't need tips. They probably already know I should spend 15 minutes a day with my child playing. They probably already know I shouldn't yell at my child. But having all of this feelings of burnout, of exhaustion towards their child, of these memories from their past, if we weren't helping them with those, like the real deeper work, those tips were never going to work. So we ended up really flipping the way that we looked at things and started looking from a trauma-informed lens. We started working with them through the trauma and really going there instead of the tips and strategies. I kind of had to like throw out my idea of this booklet that I could just give to parents and they would just magically do it and things would improve. And that's really what I try and bring to Our Mama Village as well. Like I've said it a million times on Our Mama Village, but I don't like these one size fits all approaches. I don't like parenting hacks. I don't like quick tips that feel like, oh, if I just try this, it'll work. Because so much of the real work that happens in parenting is this deeper work, this reflection, looking at our triggers, burnout, all that kind of stuff. And that's been true in my own life as well. So yeah, I love that you asked that question because that's something I'm really, really passionate about. Me too. That's actually one of the drivers for starting Motherkind. And you know, much as I'm asked to talk about and you know, I'm pitched guests all the time, sort of trips type parenting content, I never do it because of exactly that reason. You know, my experience was that I knew all this stuff theoretically, but what was coming up for me was so unconscious and triggering. And I just Mm -hmm. wasn't being the parent that I wanted to be on paper. I was like, wow, I can see how this is all my stuff. It's actually nothing to do with. Jessie's just being a toddler. It's my, I just can't seem to hold her feelings. You know, why is that? And I theoretically know I have to do that. So I just find it absolutely fascinating. You said that that was part of your story. What came up for you in that space when you became a mother and you started, I guess, trying to implement the kind of gentle parenting approaches and techniques that you talk about? Did anything like that emerge for you? I think when I say my story, I talk about my husband and I. So when we became parents, a lot of the things from his past, we've been together for a really long time. He came out of a traumatic, abusive childhood experience and thought that he had processed a lot of the stuff that had happened. And together, like we've been friends since he was a child. So we had been through a lot of this, this really tricky and tough, abusive and toxic stuff together. So when we became parents, we thought we had worked through it. And then all of a sudden you have this 
innocent little baby that you're holding and all of these memories for him start come flooding back and anger and trying to process all of your own experiences that all comes back. So a big part of our journey, especially at the beginning when we first had our oldest daughter was going to counseling, doing this reparenting work of, okay, well, what did I need as a child? Why am I feeling angry right now? What's coming up for me? And so we did that experience together, which was really healing. And also for myself going through postpartum anxiety, when my mental health wasn't good and when I didn't have the tools to cope with my anxiety, my patience was lower. I was so much more angry. I think a lot of my clients and people I talk to on Our Mama Village don't realize that rage can be a sign of anxiety. It's a sign that something deeper is happening. And I was never a person who got angry before. And all of a sudden I was so angry and so upset. And so being able to really look into my own mental health, being able to have that experience where my husband and I were able to reflect on his upbringing and think about as a couple, how do we want to do things different? What are our values? What do we bring to parenting? And and who do we want to be as parents? And that's really where gentle parenting started coming up for us because we realized that we didn't want to repeat these same cycles of punishments, of yelling, all that kind of stuff, but we needed to do things different. That's kind of where that started to evolve for us. Yeah, my friend Shelly Robinson, Raising Yourself. Have you seen that? Mm. She's brilliant. She would call that being a cycle breaker, which is something I'm really, really passionate about. How do you define gentle parenting? So I talk about gentle parenting just because it's an easy label, but I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I don't really care. I'm not uh, super set on that. But if you look at the research, we're looking at parenting that's high on warmth. So children who know that they are loved unconditionally, that your love is not based on the way that they behave or anything like that has no conditions, but then also high on leadership. So really knowing that children look to you to be the leader of the home. They look to you to set those boundaries for them and kind of guide them through their challenging behavior. So those are the two pillars that we see in the research have kind of the best outcomes for kids and that's been highly studied So that's what I'm thinking about. High on kind of control, leadership, boundaries, but also very high on warmth. And you have four pillars, don't you? Can you talk us through those? Oh, yes. Yeah. Are you in my course? (laughs) So in my Parenting Little Kids with Big Feelings course, we talk about four pillars to gentle parenting. First, we talk about trust. We trust our children and we want our children to trust us. So some of the things that we talk about is Instead of forcing our kids to do things, like let's say there's a slide. So for the longest time, my daughter and I would go to this park near our house and she would look up at the slide. And instead of forcing her to go down, which was my initial opinion, like just go down. If you go down, you'll love it. It'll be fun. I would say to her, I trust that you'll go down when you're ready. And then the next week we'd go and she'd climb to the top and she'd kind of peer over and look down say, I trust that you'll go when you're ready. And finally, after weeks and weeks of going to the park on her own time, she went down the slide and she was so happy, so excited, and she loved it. That's really what that trust looks like. So trusting our kids, trusting them to have their instincts, providing them with opportunities also helps them build the trust in you that you're not going to force them to do things that they're not ready for and stuff like that. That's one of the pillars. Another one of the pillars is unconditional love like we were just talking about. So really what we want our kids to know is I will always love you no matter what. And I think that that is so simple, 
but it's so powerful. And a lot of us didn't grow up with that feeling. A lot of us grew up with, I always love you, but I'm so mad at you that you do this, that I'm going to revoke my love and I'm not going to be loving towards you because you did this behavior. And so children start to think, okay, well, my parents only give me a lot of love and praise when I'm really smart. So I got to do really good on my test because when I do really good on my test, then I get a ton of love and praise. But if I do bad on my test, then they remove that love. So we want our children to know that our love isn't based on the fact that they're smart or that they're pretty or that they're good at sports or whatever it is. So there's often a lot of reparenting work around that, especially for people who kind of grew up in that environment. The third pillar is responsibility. And responsibility says, I'll always love you and I can't let you. So that's the pillar where we're adding in boundaries. We're making our children responsible for their actions. So I'll always love you. And you just colored with marker all over the wall. We're going to clean it up together. So it's making sure that we have that component of leadership and boundary setting with our kids as well, which is really key. And sometimes gentle parenting is called permissive, but I always say if it's feeling permissive, it's likely because we're not using that pillar of responsibility. And then last is the pillar of safety. So we want to be able to keep our kids physically safe and also emotionally safe. So that's providing a home where their physical safety is kept in mind. So part of that is those boundaries again around like, you know, not running to the road, keeping a safe home for them, but then also that emotional safety where we're going to protect our kids from things that are going to be emotionally unsafe for them. We're going to provide a home where they don't have to worry about being screamed at, or if they are yelled at because we're humans, we come back and we apologize for yelling at them and they can feel safe in relationship with us. The core kind of theme of all of that unconditional love, responsibility, safety, and trust is building this trusting relationship with our kids. The research shows us that that is truly the most important thing. If we can have a solid attached relationship with our children in those first early years of life that's going to serve them throughout the rest of their life. So those are the pillars that we talk about in my course. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. I think it's so helpful to just dive into some of the detail, you know, when we say these phrases like Mm -hmm. gentle parenting. I wanted to dive specifically into one of them, which is around responsibility and boundaries and Mm -hmm. punishment. Because when I said to my community, what do you want me to ask Jess about? So many people were like, how do I get my two-year-old to stop hitting my newborn without using timeouts or Mm -hmm. punishments or taking things away or giving things, you know, rewards, punishments? And I know that you're just incredible on this. Can you deep dive into that specifically for us? What does punishment-free parenting look like? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. 
Oh, I love that one. Cause I remember when I had my second daughter, my first daughter out of the blue, the one time was like hitting her and shaking the bassinet to wake her up. And I remember both my husband and I, and we had been practicing gentle parenting for a long time. We were laying in bed. All of a sudden she's hitting her and shaking her bassinet. We like rose up in bed and both of us were like, we felt this anger in ourselves and this like need to punish her. It just felt like, oh, that's what we should do. And we had to really tune in with ourselves and be like, hold on, what's that feeling coming from? How is that serving me right now? And so the feeling of wanting to punish often comes from this feeling of we want to do something. Punishment makes us feel like we're doing something and it has an immediate response to the behavior. And so I think that as a parent, it can feel like, okay, they hit, so we're going to put them in timeout or we're going to take away privileges. It feels like we're doing something. It feels like we're moving forward here, but we want to look at, is it actually effective? Is it changing behavior? And oftentimes, most times the answer is no, the child still ends up hitting. They stay, and then they end up getting stuck in these cycles of punishment where now I've put you in timeout this time. So the next time I have to do the same thing. And all of a sudden we're just doing timeout and we get stuck in these cycles of punishment. So I just want to first off really say I can identify with that feeling and I know how frustrating that can be. And it's really, really hard to know what to do in those moments. Like even for both of us, like we were just frozen. We didn't know what to do. So one of the first things that we can do instead is just kind of try and slow down our own response, take a deep breath, know that behavior isn't a call to react. We don't need to necessarily react right away. We can take a second. Safety is first. So if your toddler is hitting your baby, you're going to want to say, I can't let you hit the baby. So first off, I can't let you hit the baby. You're going to either remove them, put your body between them and the baby, whatever you need to do to make sure that everybody's safe. That's first. From there, we want to get curious. So what need is this hitting meeting for your child? Why are they hitting the baby? And that's the really core piece as well of gentle parenting is this curiosity. So behavior is never just behavior. It doesn't just happen. There's always a reason why. And behavior is communicating something to us. So a few reasons why, I'm just kind of sticking with this particular situation, but a few reasons why a toddler would hit a baby. One reason is they're curious. There's this new being in my house and I've never experienced this new being before. So what happens when I hit this new being? What will it do? That is often the case for toddlers. They're very curious people and they want to know what happens. Another reason toddlers often hit babies is they're looking for attention from their parents. Even if you have a big angry reaction, that's still connection time that they have with you. And I know how hard it is when you have a new baby, usually all your focus and all of your energy is on the baby. So toddlers are really, really impressive actually at getting their needs met. So they'll often do things like hit because they know that that will for sure get a reaction out of you and connection time with you. And other reasons it might happen is the toddler wants a timeout. They're feeling overstimulated. They're feeling overwhelmed. They need a break. And if you're putting them in timeout every time they hit, it could be their way of getting that break. And so maybe they need skills to learn how to get a break in a new way. And then finally, a last reason why it might happen is like a sensory need. So some toddlers have like this pent up anger, pent up aggression, pent up feelings in their body. And if I hit, then I can get out that feeling. So 
getting curious is really the key way to help with any behavior because all behavior is communication. And when you can figure out the why, then you can figure out, okay, how can I proactively support my child? If it's attention, we're going to be a little bit more proactive about making sure she knows when we're going to have time with her, making sure that I do this proactively instead of waiting for her to hit to get my attention. If it's a break, can we come up with like a secret sign language or a secret way to ask for a break that's funny and fun for her and fun for us or proactively just say, hey, let's get out of the room and let's go sit and color for a minute so we can do things more proactively. If it's sensory, maybe we're looking at ways to get that sensory input or output. As you can see, like when we're thinking about getting curious, we're thinking about what can we give them that they can do to get this need met rather than how can we punish this so they don't do it again. I think it'd be interesting to hear what sort of challenges you've experienced. And I could maybe share some of mine with doing this because it is a really different approach, as you so insightfully said, than many of us had, right? Which was like, you've done a behavior. I need to teach you a lesson. So I need to punish you. And I think for lots of parents, you know, me included, it can feel very derailing. I don't know if that's quite the right word to do this approach, which is what we do do in our house. It can feel like still I get that feeling of like, but I have to teach her. And I keep having to remind myself, like I am teaching her so much by taking this kind of curious what's under the behavior approach than I am by just taking her story time away or whatever I might be thinking I could do. Yeah. I like to remind myself when I have those thoughts come up because I grew up hearing that all the time too. Like if children were bad, if children were misbehaving, like they need to learn a lesson. And then I always tell myself, yes, that's true. They do need to learn a lesson. And through getting curious and through finding ways to help them communicate, I am teaching them a lesson that they can understand. So I try and (laughs) flip that. But I think you're right. Again, that goes back to the deeper work where when your child's having a tantrum and they're, you know, freaking out because they want the blue cup, but the blue cup's dirty and we're giving them the red cup that literally happened already today for me. Um, (laughs) And we are freaking out. Like, what's that fear? And that's what I often encourage parents to look at too. What's that fear that's coming up for you? Because often when we're getting triggered and we're leaning towards using a method that doesn't align with our values, that's our own fear. So is it, if I don't nip this in the bud, you know, the behavior is just going to get worse and worse. Is it, I'm failing as a parent. What's that internal fear for us? And I think you were touching on that as well, that that is often more helpful than kind of any tool that we can use in that moment is, is reflecting on our own values and our own fears. Yeah. I think my biggest fear is I have quite a tricky five-year-old is that she's not going to grow into this sort of responsible, loving, kind, compassionate human. That's my fear. And I really noticed that. It's really wise you say that. I really noticed that when I want to just shut her down or punish her or shout, because that's what it is for me. I'm like, oh my God, she's, you know, when she's like rude about one of her little friends or they say hi, and she can be quite introverted. So she doesn't often say hi back. And I'm like, I noticed that really strong desire in me to kind of force her to say hi. I don't, I just say hi to the kids. That's how I handle that. (laughs) But that's what it is. It's like that fear, like, oh my God, I just project into the future. She's not going to have any friends if she doesn't know how to say hi to people. 
Yeah, exactly. In my mind, I'm like, I could get into a full counseling session about this, but (laughs) which that's the counselor in me that wants to ask you a million questions about that. But that fear that comes up for you, then you want to think about like, well, where does that come from? What is my value of wanting her to be this? And the value is okay. You want her to grow up to be a girl who's, you know, well-loved by her peers and who's respectful and and all of those things are totally okay. And so then diving into, well, well, why do I have this fear? What makes me think that that might not happen? And if that doesn't happen, then what does that say about me as her parent? Doing some of that reflection work as well, it can be really hard on us because we're like, oh, wow. Like we're really projecting a lot on our children. And I remember feeling that same way, especially my daughter had a really hard time when we were transitioning and well, we had the pandemic. I had my second daughter the week that the world shut down. So much changed in my oldest who was three at the time. Everything changed in her life. She went from daycare, friends, she's extremely social to nothing, just me. And my husband was working still full-time and a new baby. It was extremely hard on her. And I had a lot of those fears come up too. Like, oh my goodness, you know, what if I'm messing everything up? What if she never goes back to being that carefree, innocent little girl that she was before this? What will people say? This is my job and I teach behavior, yet my child is struggling so much with behavior. (laughs) Those are the fears that were coming up for me and I had to really look into that. So yeah, I know that that work is so tricky and you're like, oh, why do I have to always reflect on myself? Like, (laughs) Why can't things be easier? It can be really hard. I think that's so true, isn't it? You know, I think you said it. It's about self-parenting. And sometimes people say to me, is there any way around it? Like, I wish it was easier. And honestly, I don't know what you think. I don't know. I think it is all about that. It is all about doing that reflective work. I think the real tension and the thing that's really hard, and I guess what you do so brilliantly and what I'm trying to do with the podcast, is that in a time in your life when you've never been more busy tired, stretched, have less time. We're kind of also called, if we want to be the cycle breakers and do it differently and live parent in line with our values, we're also called to unpack what's coming up, reflect, get curious, which takes time. I feel like there's just this real sort of tension there. How do you approach that? How do you help people with that tension? So something that we tell to our clients at the practice is we don't have to do all the work at one time. I think there is a lot of talk about reparenting and it's so important. And at the same time, there are seasons of parenthood where you feel like you're drowning in the water. I mean, if I think about myself, let's say when I had the two little ones at home, pandemic, everything is just a mess. And I have this visualization of like, you're just trying to stay afloat. Sometimes you just need what we call life jacket approaches. And so those are things like trying to use self-compassion. So when you have those that mom guilt voice, you're trying to be more compassionate on yourself. You're trying to like take a sensory break in the bathroom. Like I would literally just go to the bathroom, turn off the lights, make sure my kids were safe and just sit in darkness for like a minute just so I could catch my breath for a second. So we're doing more of those strategies that are still that deeper work to regulate ourselves, but they're more life jacket approaches. And once we have that life jacket on and we're floating and we actually are in a season of parenthood where it's still hard and still sometimes there's waves that come up that make us feel like we're drowning, but it's not all consuming in that same way. 
that's the season where it might be a little bit easier to do that deeper reparenting work. You need to be floating first because if you try and do all this work and you put that pressure on yourself to do everything all at once, sometimes it just makes us feel like we're drowning even more and it can be even harder to get our head above the surface. So I don't know if that metaphor is helpful, but that's something that I often think about and encourage parents to when they're like, oh my goodness, now I have a baby and they're breastfeeding all the time. I'm up a million times a night and this and this and this. And I have to reflect on my traumatic childhood. Like I just can't do it all. And I say, yeah, you're right. You literally can't. So let's take that off the table. Let's get you floating. And a lot of that is that self-compassion, grace for yourself and just some mindful exercises, stuff like that. Let's get you floating. And then we can do that deeper work. It's a beautiful metaphor and it's brilliant. And I think it's so true because it does seem just this kind of this flood to carry on your kind of water yeah. metaphor of when you're right in the thick of it and all this stuff is coming up. It can just feel totally overwhelming. So I just love that idea of, yeah, we've got to be floating before we can do the deeper work. We need to have that space, right? Yeah. Internally yeah. and externally. And I talk about that because in my parenting course and on my page too, I talk about reparenting. And I say that in, in the course, this is important to have these tools to help you reflect on your past and help you all these things. But it's okay also to acknowledge if it's not the time to dive into this. Because we're talking about this so much more, which I love and think is like so important. Parents are now feeling this pressure as well to like always be doing this deep reflection. I'm like, no, no, it's okay. Like you don't have to do it all the time and it becomes so much easier, but right at the beginning or different seasons, it can be really hard to do that. I wanted to ask you about that as well is sort of, you know, the brilliant content that people like you put out, but sometimes, you know, mothers will get in touch, which sort of makes me cry. Well, it does make me cry when they'll say, I listened to one of your podcasts and you were talking about the importance say, of the first five years and brain development. And I just feel so guilty and like I've done it all wrong. And I guess it's such a double-edged sword. And I'm wondering how you handle this, where you put out all this sort of brilliant content and ideas, but I just noticed some of my audience use that as a thing to beat themselves up with Mm -hmm. more. And I always respond like just as much compassion that I can possibly get across in an email is what I try and pour in. But I always feel like, how do I make sure that my content isn't used in that way. And I guess I can't, but I'm wondering how you experience that people using this kind of amazing knowledge that we have now, which is more than ever in history that's Mm. publicly available, but don't use that as you say, as a way to think that we have to be doing all the work all the time or beat ourselves up. I struggle with that as well, because I never want that. And It's interesting for me because we have a private practice where we see parents. So we do psychotherapy and I have the page. So I am seeing the both ends of it. So something I try to do in a lot of my posts, you'll see if you're swiping through, because there's always multiple graphics. The last one will be like, take a breath. (laughs) You're safe. You know, I try and infuse my posts with as much self-compassion as I can. Like we were talking about at the beginning having that mental health aspect and also talking about parenting. I'm I'm trying to do both the best I can in a post, but you're right. It's so hard that once you write something and that you put it out into the world, you can never know or help someone interpret it in the way that you want them to interpret it. So that's something that I'm just constantly trying to think about. Our team is constantly trying to be like, how can we write content that's compassionate and kind and also 
you know, a tool that might be helpful and useful for parents. But I can't say that I do it right all the time. I can't control how people, you know, respond to the post, but I do try and often say in my stories and on my feed, like give yourself compassion. And just because I post it doesn't mean you need to implement it. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's the season for you to try everything new. Sometimes it's not that season, but it's hard. And I'm sure you find that too, because people who follow me for a long time know that, but sometimes people who just stumble across one post don't necessarily have that feeling. And I struggle with that too, because I want people to have my my real voice of what I'm trying to convey on, on the feed. It's interesting because I have these coaching groups of women as well, which I absolutely love. And there's not many of us, there's just 10 at a time. And I, you know, I do one a month and we have a WhatsApp group. And the other day, one of the mums was saying, I just called my daughter a good girl. And I feel really bad about that because I don't want her to feel like I don't love her for who she is. And I was so glad that she had said that on the group because I dived right in and I was like, listen, (laughs) you know, it sounds like you are just totally doing an incredible job and just beating yourself up. And, you know, I said to her, what was your intention behind your words? And what was your body language? And she said, it was just warmth and love. And I said, well, chances are, you know, that's how the communication would have landed. But it really struck me. I was like, gosh, yeah. I think with all these scripts that you see on... Yes, I struggle with that. I've just noticed it, like freak out that if we're using some of these words, we're going to permanently damage our children. And I'd love to hear your view on that because mine is like not at all. Like I try and not use the scripts because I just find that I start to not know what to say. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm a robot. But I try and think about what's my energy and intention behind the words that I'm using. And that's exactly it. One of my favorite posts, and I literally wish I could post this every few days, but I'm sure Instagram wouldn't like this. I've reposted it a few times in a few different ways, is what sounds authentic and caring and connecting for me and my child might sound different for you. And that's okay. And then in the post, it talks about how sometimes I tell my daughter when she's crying, it's okay. And how for me, that's actually like a compassionate, loving thing. She's crying. I'm like, it's okay. I'm here. You're safe. Whereas you could also say it's okay in a super dismissive way. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You're crying. It's the same words. And so it's so much less. And I think we've gotten stuck on, you'll see, I don't post a ton of scripts because I feel the same way as you. Sometimes I do because people ask me and they like it, but I always say it's more about how you say it, the relationship, you know, being on your child's level than what you say. What you say, it matters, but like you said, the good girl, good boy. It's all about the intention, the way you say it. And I think we need to release ourselves from the pressure. There's a lot of scripts out there. I know I post them as well, but from following them all word for word. And if you say something like, be careful. I had a lot of people, because I think we did a post on it or maybe someone else did, on not saying be careful. And they say, oh no, like now I've said, be careful. And it's fine. I say, be careful to my kids a lot. I like to post some different ideas because I get stuck saying, be careful a hundred times a day. And I don't want to say that a hundred times a day. Like there's some different options, but if you say it, you can give yourself grace and know that that's okay too. Yeah. Cause you know, 80% of communication is nonverbal, but isn't it incredible that we kind of live in this world now where people are so wanting to get it right. Quote unquote. Mm. I find that really inspiring. I just get nervous yeah. that we might swing too far the other way where it's this sort of like, you know, keeping ourselves in this tight little robotic scared box that we're somehow going to 
you know, damage our children by saying, be careful or good boy or good girl, which of course we're not, right? Of course we're not. No. It's, you know, it's not. And I say the fact that you're even worried about it, the fact that you're even concerned tells me that you're doing perfect, that you're doing so good. The fact that you're even worried about this, because I can guarantee you generations before us are not overthinking about using, you know, the words, be careful. It's so much more about the relationship that you're building with your child, which I know that, you know, my followers are, I'm sure that yours are as well. Your community is like, we're building these authentic, loving relationships with our kids. And that's what it's all about. The scripts are fine. They're additional. They can be helpful. And if you're like me and you're like, I don't want to say be careful a hundred times a day. I want something more useful. Okay. Then I can try one of these other scripts, but it doesn't define your worth as a parent if you say something that's in the avoid category. I get why the scripts have become so popular because, you know, in our sort of time squeezed, pressured, it's like, okay, I want to do it differently and I want to maybe not shut down their feeling. But as we were talking about a bit, you know, I don't have time to do that deep reflection. I'm just going to grab a script. It's almost like it could be like the sort of fast food of parenting, isn't it? A little bit. I'm just going to put a sticky plaster on it. But as we've, you know, the real theme of our conversation has been, it's more about when the time is right, you know, thinking a bit more deeply. Yeah, exactly. So the scripts can help, especially I get a lot of people saying, you know, I didn't grow up this way. I have no idea what to say. So they find the scripts really helpful, but they're not the end all and be all by any means. And if you say something in the avoid category, it's fine. Like it's fine. Give yourself some compassion and move forward because we've all been there. You know, even me who I'm the one writing this stuff. And I like to say that in most of my posts, I like to give an example of the time that I did use the thing in the avoid category, because we just want to be real too. And and we're all just human parents trying to, trying to do our best for our kids. And what are your hopes for your children and your parenting relationship if you kind of zoomed forward 15 20 years what are your hopes that you've instilled in them I love that question I think the best thing that I can hope for is that they become well-adjusted adults that do whatever it is they want to do I try and not have like a projection for you know whatever career whatever they want to do and that I can still have a great relationship with them when they're older and that they will know that they can always come to me, that they can trust me. Something that I think is really beautiful. And I talked a little about my husband's journey, but I am very, very thankful that I had parents who actually used a lot of the gentle parenting tools before it was trendy. I mean, not that it's trendy, but they didn't use punishment. They were very tuned in. We had very solid relationship. And my mom's mom was very similar with her and she just passed away a few weeks ago, but the most beautiful thing happened. I'm trying not to tear up while I'm talking about it, but in the last few weeks, my grandmother passed away and she was very close. Like I was very close with her still. I had a really solid relationship with her. I have a solid relationship with my parents. Like we're very close. We live close to each other and all of my family got together. There's probably 30 of us we're all close knit. We all get along. There's no arguments around the the funeral. Like everybody got along. We all got to be together. It was so insanely beautiful. I just tear up every single time I think about it, but I just think to myself, like that's the power of gentle parenting. And if, if that's what I can have when I'm my grandmother's age and I can have, like she has five kids, five kids, their partners and their kids, and they all look up to me and we can all be in this close relationship. Like 
that's the ultimate, like that's the most beautiful thing I could ever ask for. So just going through that experience the last few weeks has just been like so, so beautiful and touching. And it really has reminded me of why we're here and, and what we're doing. I'm sorry for your loss. And thank you for sharing that. It's so easy when you're in the trenches of parenting to forget that perspective, isn't it? It's just so beautiful what you just shared because you just shot me straight into perspective. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have anyone in my family who's done the sort of gentle parenting. So to hear and to borrow your experience that actually 30, 40, you know, how many years in the future, the result is this tight knit, trusting family, because that is not the norm, right? The norm is dysfunction and arguments and backstabbing and estrangement and that's the norm in mine and my family's and my yeah. husband's family. So to hear that is just incredible. Thank you for sharing that. All of us just sitting there together in the funeral, you know, we're all like locking arms together, just like crying. And it was just such an intimate moment, but it was also such a reminder for me of this doesn't just happen. Like this is just so beautiful. I can guarantee you my grandma never got stuck on like using a certain script or my parents didn't. And they broke their own cycles prior to my grandma's family. She wasn't close with her family. She didn't have that with her family. So her and her husband, my grandfather who passed away about 20 years ago, really broke those cycles and they started something new. And it's just so, like, to cry, it's so inspiring and beautiful and just reminds me of like why we're here and what we're doing and and what I want for everybody who follows my page. And so uh, thank you for letting me share that. It was beautiful. She sounds like an incredible woman. What was her name? Her name was Henny. She was Dutch, a Dutch immigrant family. Wow. Just to hear that, you know, the power of bright breaking these cycles, as you say, you know, not getting in the weeds of scripts and words, but just that healing and from that emerging, just that pure love and compassion that gets passed down the generations. Mm-hmm. There's nothing bigger, right? What is bigger than that? Yeah. And it's so helpful. I find to have that perspective and be like, you know, the day in the day out, we get so stressed about the little things, you know, the little, what we should avoid, what we shouldn't do. But if we think about the big picture and these relationships that we're building with our kids that are going to be imperfect, we're going to, there's going to be messy times. Like there's times, of course, you know, my mom and grandma got annoyed with each other and, and things like that. And me and my mom get annoyed with each other. But at the end of the day, you have this solid relationship that you know, you can come back to this person and that they're trusted and they always show up. Like that's what it's all about. And so I think when we can have that perspective and we can see the bigger picture, then those small little day-to-day things can maybe seem a little bit easier. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you so much. I know that's going to help so many people just hearing those words. And I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I was thinking about this yesterday. I saw your email that you said that. I was like, I could have some really profound answer, but I've been really tired lately. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I wish I could just give everybody energy, like sleep and energy. Cause I feel like, oh man, sometimes some seasons of motherhood, you're just so tired. And it's so hard to do these things when you're feeling depleted. So there's probably something much more profound I could say, but (laughs) In this season for me, I'm like, it'll be so nice for moms to have like some good sleep and some good energy and, you know, just be able to get through those really hard days. 
Yeah, and I think you've said plenty of profound. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's where I'm at in the in my season because I'm like, oh man, you know, sometimes we're just so tired and it's tough. Yeah, that would just be amazing. Imagine that, just sprinkling energy over all the mothers in the world. I mean, what, what would that do? I mean, we're all, yeah, so many of us are just so tired all the time. So even if you're sleeping well, it can still be just emotionally exhausting. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. I knew it would be. I think especially what you were showing at the end has just helped me as well so much. So I know it's going to help others. It's just that perspective of love and connection and remembering that it's about the relationship. Thank you so much. This has been just such a lovely conversation. I knew it would be too, but I've just enjoyed talking to you so, so much. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care, I'll see you next time.